Uh, we're going to be uh, continuing in our series, The Signature of Jesus. This is Palm Sunday. Woo-hoo. You guys excited about that? You sound like it. Okay, and uh, to the title of our message today is What Really Ticked Him Off? Actually, we could retitle that as to uh, Why Did Jesus Really Tick Everyone Else Off? Because uh, Jesus, as we're going to find from the passage today, he was very human, but in his message, both in his message and sometimes in his style, people got their uh, britches in a bunch often, okay? Uh, normally, I am not a fan of bumper stickers. In fact, uh, most of the time I think that they're obnoxious, especially uh, some of the Christian ones, like this one that I heard of, uh, uh, in case of the rapture, this vehicle will be unmanned. Have you heard that? If you have that on your car, first of all, I want to apologize for offending you. I don't mean to offend you, but I'm pretty sure it's not God's plan for your unmanned vehicle to go careening into traffic to kill a family of innocent people. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, but there are some bumper stickers that I think are pretty decent. I like this one. Now, honk if you love Jesus. Text him if you want to meet him. I like that one. That one's you can put on your car. How about this one? Jesus loves you, but everyone else thinks you're a jerk. As long as you're a recovering jerk. How about this one? Jesus is coming. Everybody look busy. I love that because that's my kids. You know, dad's coming. Look busy. But the one that uh, kind of gets me a, a little bit annoyed the, the, the most is this one. It says this, Jesus I like, but not his fan club. There it is. I hope you don't have this one <laughs> on your bumper, honestly. I, sometimes I think that I'd wager that the people who think like that, they don't like the church, they don't like Jesus' followers, but they're okay with Jesus. Jesus, as the Doobie Brothers says, is just all right with me. But I'd wager that those people either had, A, a bad experience with some church people, maybe some bad church people, and I don't blame them. But B, I would also say that they probably have not spent much time, I would guess that they have not spent a lot of time looking at the New Testament and studying the Jesus of the New Testament. Because it's not very long as you study his sayings and you study him that you find that he will offend you. In fact, Jesus said this of himself. He said, I am the rock that makes men stumble. In other words, I'm, I, I can be a barrier. Jesus was fully aware that there were things about himself that were a barrier to, some, to people's faith. We're going to look at some of those things today. Mark chapter 11, if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at verse 8. And here's what Mark says about Jesus coming into the city, into Jerusalem. He is coming down into Jerusalem, and these people literally throw an impromptu parade for him to hail him as the Son of God, the next Messiah. It says this, And many spread their garments, their cloaks and their coats, and their outer garments on the road, and others spread leafy branches, palm branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom, listen, of our father, David, that is coming. That is a critical critical thing uh, to understand that they were shouting, bless is the kingdom of our father David that is coming. So they were hailing Jesus, but they had something else in mind. Jesus has been ministering in public. Now, he has been preaching and teaching. He has been in confrontation with the religious leaders, and Jesus has been vanquishing evil with the power of God. And so this is a very exciting time. He comes down into the city, 
And he is welcome with this impromptu parade. And as we read the text, Jesus comes in several ways. First, he comes as a prophet. He comes as a prophet, the nation's prophet, to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he does some prophetic things like cursing the fig tree that are gonna, is going to ruffle the feathers of some. He also comes as the supreme teacher of Israel. He said over in Matthew 23, he said, you don't have any rabbis. I'm your rabbi. I'm your teacher. I'm your supreme master. What I tell you is what goes, not them. <laughs> okay, so Jesus has proclaimed himself as the supreme teacher of Israel, no question about it. He also comes as something of a revolutionary. Now, everyone else thinks that Jesus is going to be their idea of a revolutionary. They think that Jesus is going to wield the sword and take up arms against their occupying force, Rome. But Jesus came to lead a counterinsurgency. And it was a message of transformation of heart, transformation from the inside out through repentance and faith. And so the question as we look at the story is, everyone expected a Jesus of their making. They wanted their own Messiah, a Messiah just for them. But the question is this, why did some in the initial crowd turn, to Jesus, turn on Jesus in such a short time? Because many of these people, not all of them, but some of them in this crowd, they are going to turn on Jesus later. And in Mark chapter 15 and Matthew 26, it says that the chief elders and the priests persuaded the crowd to cry out for Jesus' crucifixion, and they chose a man named Barabbas. Why? And here are the reasons. Here's why I think that this crowd was so persuadable against Jesus. Number one, unmet expectations. That's number one. Well, they hadn't been taught the rest of the story. They had some expectations of Jesus that were not met, and they had not been taught the rest of the story. They had skipped over passages like Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, which says that he was wounded, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. They sort of skipped over Isaiah 53. They didn't really read that passage. They didn't expect their Messiah to be a suffering servant. They also skipped over Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32 and 33, where uh, the prophet told them that God was going to give them a new covenant which displaced the old covenant. They also uh, sort of read over the Ezekiel 36 passage, which told them that God was going to replace their heart, their stone-cold hearts, their impenetrable, intractable hearts, and he was going to replace it with a brand-new spirit, a brand-new heart of flesh. And so they, they weren't big on these themes. They expected Jesus to be their king the king who would lead a military revolt against their occupiers, Rome, and make them the head and the, not the tail. They also uh, were suffering. They had an expectation that the Messiah would come and alleviate their suffering. Have you ever suffered? I mean, like some really horrible physical thing. Uh, Kurt's, the story that I cringe is when Kurt always talks about uh, having hiccups for like several weeks or something, and I'm just like, oh man, one thing I hate is hiccups. And if I had to go through that, I think I would, I would just want to be in a coma until I came out of it, you know? 
But there are certain ways in which we suffer, and there's some suffering that is so traumatic in our lives, and, it, and it's so painful. It could be spiritual, emotional, psychological, or physical. And that suffering is so difficult that all we can think about is getting relief for that suffering. And these people were suffering, man. They were suffering under the onerous burden of religion. And they were suffering under Roman occupation. And they expected Jesus to come down here and set us free from them. Set us free from the things that make us suffer. And Jesus didn't do that. They also expected miracles. They weren't being dazzled by much of the miraculous. There were thousands and thousands of people from the north where Jesus normally was and ministering who came down and migrated down for this celebration. And they were talking Jesus up. You know they were. They were talking about, oh, man, I saw him raise a dead girl. I saw him heal a woman who had a bleeding issue, man, and he healed her instantaneously by her just touching the edge of his craspedon, his garment. I saw him do it. And everybody in the South who didn't get to see him do these things very often, they were like, oh, they probably had an expectation that he was going to come down and, and throw some lightning bolts or do something awesome. And Jesus didn't do it. In fact, in Mark's gospel, it makes it pretty clear. After the cursing of the fig tree, Jesus didn't do any other miracles for them. No healings, no raisings of the dead. All he did was have debates in Solomon's portico in the temple courts. And no doubt, some of these Jews are thinking, what's up with that? (laughs) Sorry, I just had a Saturday Night Live sketch pop in my head. But um, they were thinking, man, what's up with that? (laughs) There it is again. Okay. Why is he not doing the miraculous? We've heard these stories, and maybe some of these people, this is speculation, but maybe some of these people begin to really doubt whether the Galileans were telling the truth because he's not doing very many miracles for us. So Jesus didn't meet some of their expectations, some big ones, and that's how we can be with God, too. We have expectations of him, too. There have been times in my life where I expected Jesus to wave a magical wand and make my problems go away. And I had to learn Jesus doesn't do that. Sometimes we suffer, and we wonder where God is, and we find out that he's right in the midst of our suffering, and he is redeeming it and partaking and going through it with us. And so they had unmet expectations, no question about it. That caused some of the people in this crowd. Now, some of them won't turn. Some of these people are diehards. Right up to the end, it says, and the Pharisees and the chief priests, they were afraid of the crowd. They didn't want to take Jesus in the broad daylight because they were afraid the crowd would riot on them because he was very popular. But there were some of these people in there One particular group that they were persuadable. Secondly, they were persuaded by all the unnecessary confrontations. What do I mean by this? Unnecessary confrontations. Well, unnecessary from their perspective. Neither Jesus nor the disciples nor anybody could figure out why is this guy who's supposed to be our prophet, he's supposed to be our Messiah, he's supposed to be our Savior, why is he picking fights with everybody? In fact, it got so bad, at one point, the disciples said to Jesus, they said, Jesus, do you not know that when you say these kinds of things to the Pharisees, they get, they, that really annoys them. It really rubs them the wrong way. You've offended them. And Jesus' response is literally this, I don't care. That's literally what he said. He goes, I came to offend them. 
And this is what he said. He said, my father, every plant that hasn't been put in by my father, he will drag out by the roots with the spade. He will take them out. That was his response. Jesus came to confront wrong-headed ritualism. He came to confront religion. And nobody could figure out why he was doing it. Right after the parade, okay? So we read about this parade. Jesus comes in there like, yeah, Jesus. I love Jesus. You know, they're dancing in the street. Probably not like that. But um, so Jesus gets up the next day and he walks out and there's this fig tree, this beautiful fig tree. And it's in full bloom. It's lush and green and it's sort of leaves are flowing in the breeze. And all these Jews are standing around, this idea of the Jews standing around this fig tree. Now, the fig tree was a symbol of Israel. Jesus walks right up to it to get some fruit off of it, but it doesn't have any fruit. And so as a prophet, he symbolically curses it. So he curses this symbol of Israel because it looks in full bloom, but it has no fruit. And that is an, he uses it as an illustration of his people to say, you look very religious. You look like you got it all figured out and you got it all together, but the truth is, you're not bearing the fruit of repentance. And so he curses them. And the people are like, what? Jesus cleansed the temple. So then he goes right over to the temple and he cleans house. And in the scripture in Mark chapter 11, it says he, uh, you know, he came into the temple. He saw all the money changers, right? Now, you need to know, this wasn't just like people trying to set up these kiosks and set up shop in the temple area against the people's will. That wasn't the case. This was normal. Everyone expected this, especially the out-of-towners who didn't bring their sacrifices with them. They had to buy them there. But these guys at these kiosks, uh, at these tables, they were price gouging. Jesus saw it, but there's something bigger at play here. It isn't that Jesus just starts flipping over their tables and Kicking, kicking their tables and taking a whip that he had made and driving out the cattle and driving out all their sacrifices, Jesus is prophetically announcing to them through this action that this system is over. This system of you having to come and do all these sacrifices and buy all these sacrifices and have them done, that's done. It's time now for that to be done. That's going to be fulfilled. But the religious people weren't the only ones mad at him. I can imagine that the people who came from out of town who didn't have to sacrifice an implement of worship, they were also kind of sideways for that too. How can you worship in the temple if you don't have a sacrifice? So man, do you get the picture? Jesus is offending everyone. Jesus Christ was an equal opportunity offending Messiah. We also know that there were some very pious people in the crowd that he was defending. These were not religious leaders. If you read John's gospel, you'll see quite often when Jesus came down to Jerusalem, Jesus would punch them right in the nose verbally. He would just say to the Jews, not to the Pharisees, but to the Jews, to the people who followed the Pharisees' teaching. He said, hey, you know, um, your father is the devil. <laughs> wow, that's the way to win friends and influence uh, people, isn't it? I mean, Jesus was very, very confrontational. And the last week of his life, as the people in the middle here, not the committed, but the people on the fence, the people who showed up for the parade, but they're still unsettled, they're still unsure, as they got a closer look at him that week, they began to wonder, is this really the guy? Is this the guy? Lastly, number three, the reason why they flipped is because they had uncertain values and unsettled belief systems. You see, we are susceptible to becoming fickle followers. 
when we have values that haven't been settled and beliefs that aren't yet bedrock. Now, the crowd hailed him as their king, but many of them, even as they are chanting Hosanna to the son of David, they're not sure that he really is the king. And so this unsettled belief in Jesus is causing them then to second-guess it. And when Jesus did not meet their contrived expectations, they flipped, they switched teams. You see, we become committed followers in Jesus the moment we settle our belief in who he is and what the Scripture says he is. The moment when we make the decision not to waver and be wishy-washy, but that we are going to follow Jesus Christ, and we're going to follow him. I remember when I was a kid, this happened to me. I was doing a lot of bad things that I shouldn't have done, and I was about 15 years old, and I, I came back to the Lord in dramatic fashion. Man, I was excited about my faith, and I remember sitting in my bedroom reading my Bible, and I'm reading the Scriptures, and right there, uh, it started talking about the sin of fornication and adultery. And I remember reading it, and I remember thinking to myself, okay, uh, I've got to make some changes in my life. And I had a choice to make right there. I could either let Jesus' confrontational truth change me and move in a different direction, or I could jettison Jesus. You see, when these folks were confronted with Jesus, they jettisoned him. They put him on the cross. They silenced him. They made the wrong choices. And it's because their, their belief system about him wasn't quite settled. We become committed followers when we decide that what the Scripture teaches about Jesus, man, that becomes DNA. That becomes a decision that we've already made. I'll give you a good example of that. Uh, <clears throat> I have already decided a long time ago that I am not going to be one of these. My prayer is that I would not be one of these erratic followers, one of these sort of erratic well-wishers or parade-goers who show up and throw a parade for Jesus or show up on a Sunday morning and sing and raise my hands, but then I make bad choices with my life. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live that way. I want to run the race. I've made the decision to run it, to finish it, and to hit the tape as fast as I can be going when I hit the tape at the end. A friend of mine, uh, <clears throat> He told me uh, not too long ago in our doctoral program, I was telling him all about what we had going on at East Point Church, and he kind of does the same thing in his church, and I was telling him about the classes we're doing and, you know, some of the publishing deals that uh, we've got in the works and some of the other things that we've got going on, and he looked at me and he said, man, you're really ambitious. I go, am I? He said, yeah, you are. I go, you know, I I've never heard that before, but here's the deal. It's not ambition for me. It's ambition for the kingdom. Every decision I make, everything I go for, every time I try to do anything, it's so that I can be a better disciple maker for Jesus. Amen? Because one of my greatest fears in life is that I'm going to be in my 80s, and I'm going to die in my 80s uh, of a massive heart attack because I ate a bacon sandwich every single day. I love bacon. It's awesome. But uh, I'm going to be in my 80s, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to go see Jesus, and I'm going to say, hey, Jesus, I'm here. And Jesus is going to say, uh, yeah, okay, uh, go ahead on in. And then I'm going to say, well, well how did I do? And my biggest fear is for Jesus to look at me and go, eh. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus, I don't want to hear, eh. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what I want to hear. 
And the way that I believe I'm going to hear it is to make solid commitments for Jesus, solid beliefs about Jesus that just aren't going to change. Example of that is uh, about a year into my doctoral program, I lost all my funding. And, so, and, so, and at the same time, our tuition went up and our fees went up with the program. And so my bill skyrocketed. I mean, my bill went up to about three or $400 a month. And at the time, I remember thinking, whoa, I don't, man, I, I, that's going to be a real sacrifice for my family or for the next four years to be paying that. And I remember me and my wife, we talked about it, we prayed about it, and we decided, yes, God has given me this opportunity. This opportunity is something the Lord has given me. And my beliefs about education, my value system about education was set. And so when I lost my scholarship and my bill went up to almost $400, I had to whew, take a deep breath and really decide, okay, is this really a value? Is this really, is this belief in education, is it really solid? And then my uh, awesome 16-year-old 1997 Dodge Intrepid with 180,000 miles just went, you know, just out. By the way, if you're looking for a car, I'll make a great deal on it. It's worth tens and tens of dollars. Um, (laughs) And I'm sitting in the shop, and I'm looking at this gigantor bill to fix this thing. And I'm sitting there looking at it, and, and for a split second, I thought, Man, I could just quit school, and I could, be, I could be riding in style. I could go out and get a brand-new Kia Optima or something, you know, a brand-new um, Chevy, or, and then die in the Chevy because they're all being recalled. So I just decided <laughs> right then and there. that thought came, Actually, I thought that for three solid seconds. I sat there, and I thought about that, and I thought, no. Man, God has called me to, get, to finish my doctorate. I am this close. I can get it. And so the new car went out the window, and I chose the doctorate. And here's why, guys, because I had a settled belief. I had a settled value. And when I, another competing value came in contact with this settled value, this one canceled this one out. And so what the people in Jesus' day, they didn't have a settled belief about Jesus. The people who ended up in Matthew 26 shouting, crucify him, crucify him, on Palm Sunday, they weren't really sure what kind of Messiah he was going to be. And on that day in front of Pilate, they chose the wrong Messiah. They chose a man named Barabbas. That wasn't his name. That was his title. The title was Barabbas. The word Bar meaning son of. The word Abba meaning father. So this man was the self-styled son of God. He was the son of the father. And these people on the fence chose the wrong son of the father. They could have chosen the real son of God, Yeshua, but they didn't. And so the point today is this. It's very simple, and the choice is very clear. You and I get to decide. Because here's the deal. Mark chapter 11, that story, there are three groups of people. There are the followers The followers are committed. They're the flippers. The flippers are not sure. They're uncommitted, and they don't know if they're going to follow Jesus yet. And then there are those who find themselves in opposition of Jesus because they do not really believe in his message and his mission. Oh, they're very religious, but they have not accepted Jesus' message of reaching the lost at any cost. They They just haven't bought in. 
And that's our choice. You see, every person in this room is in one of those three groups. Man, you are either a committed follower of Jesus. You're a person who is being tempted to flip. Or you're a person who is religious and you look very spiritual, but inside you really don't care about the people that Jesus died and bled and rose for. And so that's our choice today. That's what the message of Palm Sunday, that's the choice it gives us. The opportunity to cross-examine and to choose the path of transformation. Let's pray. You know, if you're here today and you've decided to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that every decision you, every crisis you ever come into contact with is just going to be easy, one, two, three. Sometimes you have entire seasons of wrestling with your faith, and that's perfectly appropriate. But right now, you can just solidify. Make your commitment to Jesus sure. Would you do that in the next few minutes? If you're here today and you're on the fence and you think you might be one of these people who you're a well-wisher, you're a palm waver, palm branch waver, but you have not made a solid commitment to follow Jesus the master. You pray something like this with me and you want to, you want to follow him, pray something like this with me. Heavenly Father, I just give you myself right now. I have been on the fence sometimes. I have wanted to be a follower. Sometimes I haven't been sure. And right now, will you just give me your Holy Spirit? Will you just come and help me? Help me to have the faith I need to follow you and be a solid Christ follower. If you're praying that right now, Jesus, Jesus is going to help you. The Holy Spirit is going to help you become the most solid follower you can be so that your commitment is bedrock. Your commitment is ground level. If you're here today and you've been struggling with religion, the sin of religion, and you need Jesus to wash that out of you, will you pray something like this with me? Heavenly Father, I don't want to be a grumpy, fault-finding religious person. I just don't want to be anymore. I want to be free by grace. I want to be set free of that. And I just ask by the Holy Spirit that you would cleanse me and wash it out of me and forgive me at times when I have opposed your gospel while looking very religious. Would you please help me with that? Please forgive me. Please empower me to go a different direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys, good times. You guys like that story? Mark 11, what an excellent story. Prelude to Easter next week. Hey, listen, we're going to take the offering, and one of the ways that we show God our commitment is we give of our resources to resource his work. First of all, I want to thank every single one of you who are giving faithfully. Uh, this church is doing amazing things. God is doing amazing things here to reach lost people, and it's because of you. It is. And, but if I also want to challenge you, uh, if you haven't started giving yet, I want to encourage you to make that commitment as well. Let's give and let's worship. All right. Well, listen, guys. Hey, listen. Uh, if you made a commitment to Christ today, we want to encourage you to pick up one of these new believer packets. They're back on the table. 
Um, listen, we also have some upcoming dates for our First Steps class. This is a fun class. You get a free book. And hey, listen, not only do you get the First Steps book, but I will give you a free book if you sign up for the next class that uh, comes up, okay? And then if you, we run out, then you can, go, Barnes & Noble still has lots. Um, okay, <laughs> listen, guys, don't be in the group that flips. Be in the group that commits. Ooh, that rhymes. Um, sorry to go with Dr. Seuss on you, but yeah, commit to Jesus. Okay, God bless you guys. Have a great week. Prayer down in the front if you need it.